0: Hello there, you are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. For the last number of weeks, we've been looking at I believe. I wonder this morning, what is it that you actually do believe? What is it that you believe about God? And what is it that you believe about yourself? And what is it that you believe about life? Uh, every Sunday in August, we've been looking at, I believe, because I'm convinced that what happens to you in life is not nearly as powerful or as significant as what you believe happens to you. Do you believe that? That, that actually what happens to you in life is actually not as powerful or significant as actually what you believe happens to you. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, according to your faith, let it be unto you. Right? when he came to heal this man, he said, according to your faith, let it be unto you. The message translation puts it like this. I love this. Become as you believe. Why? Because if you start believing wrong things, you'll actually start expecting wrong things in your life. And so we've been looking at what do you believe really? Deep down, what is it that you believe about God And about yourself and about life. And so we started by looking at I believe that God is good. Of all of the words that the Bible uses to describe what God is like, my favorite is that God is good. That it doesn't matter what else you get about God that's right, if you misunderstand this, that God is actually good, it'll totally affect the way that you approach God. And so we looked at the fact that God is good. We looked at the week after that, we looked at I believe I'm made in the image of God. That there is nothing in all of creation that more resembles God than you. And when you begin to understand that, it'll change the way that you see yourself, right? Because you'll realize that you have intrinsic value. It's not the externals of our life that give us value. It's actually an intrinsic value because we're created in God's image. It'll change the way you see other people. It'll change the way you see your future. Last week, we looked at, I believe I'm made worthy. I believe I'm made worthy. Do you know, out of all the messages I've preached in this series to date, that one, for me, was the one that I received the most feedback and encouragement from, from people saying, I needed to hear that. I talked to a lady immediately after the service who said, you know, we've been sick the last few weeks, and it's funny when you're at home and you're on your own, what sort of thoughts start entering your own head, right? I, I needed to be here to hear that. The whole idea being that you and I are made worthy. When the Bible says for us to live worthy, that's not a call for us to pull up our socks. Religion calls people to do, 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 right? Some of you already know where that's going to go, right? But, but the message of the Bible is not a message of do, it's a message of done. That, that Christianity is not about us pulling up our socks, Christianity is actually about us lifting up our eyes. It's not about what we do. It's actually about what Jesus has already done. There's nothing I could do to make God love me more. There's nothing I could do to make God love me less. I'm made worthy. And so this week, we're looking at our final one in this series. We're looking at, I believe life is a choice. I believe life is a choice. There are multiple perspectives on life, but maybe just for this morning's sake, to, to look at three perspectives that people look or filter life through. That may be three belief systems that they see their life through. Here's the first one. It's a fatalistic perspective. The fatalistic person sees life as being completely random. They see their own life as a billiard ball on the table of life, being shunted about by fate or by forces outside of their control. For the for the fatalistic person, that their life is characterized by, by resignation and by passivity. And their favorite saying is, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And they say things like, well, you know, such is life, or, or, or whatever will be, will be. Never say that about your life. Never say such is life. Because you and I, we worship the author of life, right? And so some people see their life through a fatalistic perspective. Oh, well, I guess this is just my lot in life. I guess this is just how things are. And so because my life is just being blown about by winds and completely outside of my control, then I I guess just whatever happens is going to always happen anyway. Your life is not a twig on the tides of the sea being pushed in and out or being churned about. No, no, no. You don't ever see your life that way. You know, the truth is, even for some Christians, they can have a fatalistic view. Even though they believe in God, that they can have a fatalistic view to life. It's called spiritual fatalism. Well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. Well, you know, if it's God's will, then, then, then something will just go, and there it'll be. But, but, but actually, even Christians can become fatalistic. The truth is, if it is God's will, then God will have spoken to you about doing something and beginning to act in faith even right now. But, but even to sit back on your hands and say, well, you know, if it's God's will, then it will happen. But that's a fatalistic approach, even to God himself. The fatalistic person creates a world of defeat because there's nothing they can do to change their fate. Don't ever view your life that way. Some people don't have a fatalistic view on life. Some people have a victim view on life. Don't look sideways, right? Don't look sideways. Just keep looking straight ahead during this part of the sermon, okay? Okay. But some people that they constantly see themselves as the victim. They believe that life has conspired against them. They see themselves as powerless and they're characterized by blaming and finger pointing, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. There's people even in your own family, right? Without looking sideways, that you can say, yeah, I can think of a couple of examples of people who see their life that way. Everything that ever happens is always being told in relation to how it affects them. They always seem to be the center of every story. And they have a way of being able to turn any conversation on on how difficult life has been for them. Even when you're sharing something that's been really difficult for you. Their lives are characterized by blaming and by finger pointing, right? Never live your life that way. You'll never make a fist of life while you're pointing a finger at somebody else. Can I say that to you again? You'll never make a fist of the life God's given you whilst you spend your time pointing your finger at somebody else. Uh, this person's uh, looks at life and claims it's so unfair. That their, their favorite song is written by Shannon Noll. Well, it's not written by Shannon Noll, but it's been performed by Shannon Noll. You know the song. I'm not going to sing it because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? That uh, They create a world for themselves. Doug said he would like to sing it. Did everyone else hear that? What about me? It isn't fair. Okay, there you go. That The person who sees their life as a victim creates for themselves a world of Bitterness. If you see your life as a victim because of what other people have done, and sometimes people do do things, right? Knowingly and unknowingly, but sometimes there are very difficult things that people have done. But, but, but when you begin to see your whole life through those past experiences and what people have done to you, and you begin to define your future by, by the things that have happened to you, then you create a world for yourself that's been poisoned by your own bitterness. The person who sees their life as a victim creates for themselves a world of poison and bitterness. And ultimately, they end up destroying anything that comes close to them. And sometimes they can be incredibly gifted people, but, but that gift and what God wants to be able to do through their life is so shrouded by that hurt and by that bitterness because they see everything as what others have done to them. Don't live your life with a fatalistic perspective. Don't do that. Don't live your life as a victim. There is another way to be able to live, and that is with a faith-filled perspective. The person with a faith-filled perspective believes life is a choice. This person sees themselves as always having the ability to be able to shape the future. This person is characterized by hope and by a positive expectation. Can you see that? When you've got hope and a positive expectation, that begins to fuel a faith-filled perspective. They look at life and say, okay, this is what I've got to work with. I can't change the cards that I've been dealt, but I can determine how I'm going to play the cards that are in my hand. And so if you believe that life is a choice, then you'll begin to create for yourself a world of possibilities. Not complaining, not pointing at others, not not despairing before God, but beginning to take what is in my hands, the cards that I've been dealt, and beginning to say, God, help me to be able to create a world of possibilities. Lord, give me a hope and a future. If you're the author of life, then I believe that life is a choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, this is what the Bible says. It's God. And he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, God says, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. What a powerful instruction from God. That I call before you witnesses. God says, hey, I've heard you, Israel, you've complained before, so, so I'm calling witnesses. I want the heavens and the earth to be witnesses of what we're actually agreeing to today, that, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And, and so my prayer for you is that you would choose life, both for you, but also for that flow-on effect that it'll have for the generations that follow you. I want to speak to us this morning on this subject. I believe life is a choice. That God will help you, but you get to cast the deciding vote. That God will help you with your marriage, but you get to cast the deciding vote. That God will help you with your anxiety, but you get to cast the deciding vote. That God will help you with your attitude. But you get to cast the deciding vote, that God will help you with areas of temptation and make a way of escape. But you get to cast the deciding vote as to whether or not you take them. Why? Because life is a choice. Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor, famously said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's own attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. For me, the, the power of choice right, is best illustrated in the life of an Old Testament character. His account is in Genesis and his name is Joseph. That, that Joseph, perhaps more than any other biblical account, demonstrates this truth to us that it's not so much what happens to you as what you believe happens to you that has the ultimate determining factor. Whether you see yourself as a victim or a victor, it's not what happens to you, it's what you believe about what happens to you. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take us a little bit into the life of, of Joseph and look at maybe some of the choices and the principles that allowed Joseph to be able to live in victory, even in spite of some incredibly difficult circumstances in his life. If you and I are gonna live with a faith-filled perspective, if if we're gonna live like the scripture says that life is a choice, then you've got to make these kind of choices. Firstly, you've got to make the choice to focus on your future rather than your past. That's a choice. You get to decide. You can focus living your life, focusing on the rearview mirror or focusing on the windscreen, but you get to choose. And so if you're going to make choices with a faith-filled perspective, then you've got to focus on your future rather than your past. Joseph came from perhaps one of the most dysfunctional families. I know some of you would like to say, well, you should see my family. My family's fairly dysfunctional. And and maybe we could even compare notes on how dysfunctional our families are. And my mum is actually here today. And so we could really compare those notes and see how accurate they are. My mother-in-law's not here, so we can keep her out of it. But, But Joseph came from a very dysfunctional family. Joseph, his father had 13 children to four different women. Two of those women were sisters. The other two were maids of the two sisters. Joseph came from a highly dysfunctional family. Not only that, but his father showed him favoritism, which you can imagine made all of his brothers incredibly jealous of him, right? And not to mention their mothers, who were all vying for dad's attention and were trying to live through their children, right? Joseph was a part of an incredibly dysfunctional family. Joseph's family makes the Kardashians look positively normal. Joseph's family was dysfunctional and Joseph's brothers detested him. But I love the way that the Bible introduces us to Joseph. Because there's a lot of things that could be said for Joseph and for the family that he came from. And yet, Genesis 37 verse 5, the Bible says, Now Joseph had a dream. The psychologist would have said that Joseph had some issues. Right? And the school counselor would have said that Joseph had some baggage that he needed to work through. And the psychiatrist would have said that Joseph had a range of phobias that could have been medicated. But the Bible says, in spite of his family, that God had given Joseph a dream. Can I tell you, even if your family is dysfunctional. Even if you feel like I'm the last person on earth that God could use in any sort of significant way, you need to understand that a person who has a dream from God has everything they need to be able to live a life of significance and choice. That The Bible says in the midst of all that dysfunction that God gave Joseph a dream. But when God comes to you, God doesn't come to rehash your past. He comes to you to speak to you about your future. When God comes to Joseph, he hasn't come to him talking to him about how dysfunctional his family is. God comes to him actually with a dream about his future. He comes to give him a hope and a future. God comes to him and says, I'm going to make you a leader. I'm going to make you into a significant man. I know that there's struggles you've got in your own life, but 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 I'm going to use your life for greatness. I can imagine Joseph, even when he has this dream, right, that he could very rightly say, really, God? Like, like me? Like, do you, do you know my family? Do you, do you know where I, I come from? Do, do you have any idea what's going on in my life right now? That, do you have any idea how, how weird this whole, that, that Joseph could have come up with lots of excuses, but God didn't come to talk to him about his past or even about his family. God came to speak to him about his future. You can tell the voice of God because the voice of God will always speak to you about your future. It won't be rehashing your past. When God comes to speak to you, you'll find hope begins to rise, not condemnation in your own soul. Right? Uh, interestingly, when, when Gideon, this is a different story in the Old Testament, but, but Gideon, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. He, he's afraid, he's scared. The, the people of Israel have been oppressed, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon while he's threshing wheat in a wine press and says, "O oh mighty man of valor. And Gideon begins to like Mighty man, do, do you know who I am? Like, like I'm weak and my family's the weakest in our tribe and our tribe's like the least of all the tribes out of Israel and and, and and God's really like, if God's so good, like why, why have all these things been happening to us? And he's just full of complaints. And when you read the scripture, right? In the book of Judges, the Bible says, then the angel of the Lord turned to Gideon and continued, right? In other words, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, begins to speak with him, Gideon starts throwing out excuses and, you don't understand who I am and whatever. And at some point in the conversation, the angel of the Lord's like, all right, when, you, when you're finished, when you're, when you, you, oh, he's still going. Oh, he's still going. Man, he's got a lot to say about why. He can't. And then once Gideon had finally finished coming up with all of his excuses and all the reasons why God couldn't use him, then the angel of the Lord was like, oh, there's a break in the conversation. Okay, now he turns back to him. Why? Because God is not ready God is not interested in rehashing the difficulties of Gideon's life because God is coming to speak to him about his future. When you make the choice to focus on your future rather than your past, then you'll be able to hear God speak to you about your future because you'll stop talking. Never use yesterday's experiences to frame tomorrow's expectation. Don't live that way. Isaiah 43 and verse 19 says this, Behold, this is God speaking, Behold, I do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? That that God is doing a new thing. And so don't allow yesterday's experiences to frame tomorrow's expectations. Make the choice. I'm going to focus on my future rather than on my past. Here's the second thing you've got to do. You've got to focus on noble desires rather than knowing all the details. How many people here, you, you're a details person, right? You need a detailed list. My wife is a details person. So much so that I realize this, that, that, that for our honeymoon, right? On well, some of you are like, where is this story going, right? Details and honeymoon, you're putting these two things together? You put those two things together, guys. I gave her an itinerary of all of the places that we were going, the transfers, the like flights, all that stuff. It was all a surprise. But then on our wedding day, I gave her the itinerary because I knew that she would be freaking out about where is this flight and where is this hotel and where is this place and whatever. Some people are like, they're in for the details. If you're going to live with a faith-filled perspective, you've got to focus on noble desires rather than knowing all the details. But when God spoke to Joseph, he gave him a dream, but he didn't lay out the future for him. He didn't give him all of the details. God says, I'm going to make you a great leader. I'm going to make your life significant. End of story. He doesn't give him any more details. God could have said to him, now now the way that this is going to happen, Joseph, is, is you're going to be hated by your brothers right? So just here's the details. You're going to be hated by your brothers and they're going to hatch a plan to be able to kill you. And then one of your brothers is going to think killing you is probably a bit too far. And so maybe we just throw you in a pit. And so they throw you into a pit instead of killing you. But then some like slave traders come past and they think, actually, this is a chance for us to be able to make some money. And so they're going to sell you into slavery. But don't worry, I've got great plans for your life. They're going to sell you into slavery and and take your like special coat and they're going to tell your dad that you're dead. So don't worry, no one's going to come looking for you because your dad's going to be mourning because he thinks you've been killed by wild animals. But, But don't worry, Joseph, it's going to be okay. Because when you get to Egypt, you're going to be bought by Potiphar. At the slave trade, you're going to be bought by him. And and he'll see the leadership gift on your life and he'll give you favor and, and he'll promote you and you'll be the head slave in Potiphar's house. And everything will be going awesome until his wife... Recognizes that you're actually pretty good looking and she'd like to sleep with you. Uh, But don't worry, you don't give in to temptation. Um, Instead, she's gonna falsely accuse you of rape and and then as a result, you're gonna be thrown into prison. But don't worry, like it's gonna be all good because when you get to prison, you're gonna make a couple of friends and uh, one of those is gonna be a cupbearer, the other one's gonna be a baker and they're gonna have dreams and you're gonna interpret their dreams and one of them gets killed and the other one gets, you know, he leaves prison and he says, I'll never forget you and he does forget you for two years. But don't worry because then one day, like Pharaoh, he's gonna have a dream and and then the cupbearer, he's gonna remember that like, oh, there's this guy in prison, Joseph, like, I forgot all about him, but he interprets dreams. And so, and so Pharaoh's going to say, well, get that guy to come to me. And, and so you're going to stand before Pharaoh. They'll give you a quick shave and get ready for the, for the meeting. And you'll stand before Pharaoh and Pharaoh will say, you, if you interpret my dream, you'll get to live. And if you don't interpret your dream, my dream, I'll, it'll be off with your head. But don't worry, because I'll tell you what the dream's all about and you'll be able to interpret it. And man, Joseph, the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. You've got to focus on noble desires rather than knowing all the details. Because I've found in my life, perhaps you've found it in yours, that that oftentimes God gives you a dream or a noble desire, but He doesn't give you all the details. I think God is wise in that because if He gave us all of the details, I don't know that Joseph would have signed up for what God actually had for his life. I mean, if God had come to Doug and Marty and said, hey... I've got this great dream. I've got a burden since the foundation of the earth to establish this church and this community. And here's what it's going to cost you personally and in your own lives. Doug and Marty would have said, God, no, find somebody else. I'm sure there's somebody else who wants a dream like that, wants to do something significant. He doesn't do that. He comes with a dream. He shares a burden, right? He doesn't lay out all the details for us. And so if you're waiting for all of the details to line up before you do anything, you'll never do anything. Joseph didn't need to know all the details to step out in faith. God had given him a noble desire. Joseph, I'm going to cause your life to be significant. I'm going to make you into a great leader. And so he begins to live his life with that noble desire that God had given him. And so he's a slave. And even as a slave, Joseph is diligent. No, no, God has given me a noble desire. God's going to cause my life to come to great fruitfulness. God's called me to be a leader. And so he doesn't live like a slave. No, he begins to live like a leader who happens to be in captivity. And so he's diligent. And Potiphar notices, man, this, this young guy, he, he's a slave, but he doesn't live like a slave. He doesn't act like a slave. He's so diligent. We should promote him. And, and eventually he puts him over his entire household. Why? Because Joseph is beginning to live out the dream and the noble desire that God's put into his life. That, that, that Joseph finds himself into a prison. And even in prison, the prison guards notice there's something different about this young guy. Like, like I know he's in here, and that there's a whole lot of prisoners in here, but, but this guy he just he gets up before all the other prisoners. He's ironing his prison uniform. I mean he's prepared. But whenever we call like everyone to like come and do the roll call, that everyone's sort of slouching and they sort of slumber out of their out of their jail cells. Not Joseph. He's kind of standing there. He's ready. In fact, he's the one person who's everyone else is making like little tools to like harm each other in prison. He's made himself a, a clipboard so he can take notes from like the prison meetings, right? There's, just, there's something about this guy's life. Why? He doesn't know all the details, but he does know that God's given him a noble desire. And so he begins to live out of the noble desire, the dream that God's given him. Some people choose to only do something once they've got all the details. And the truth is, those people generally don't do very much. Others choose to live out in faith functioning out of a dream, out of a noble desire. And those people begin to do something. And that something is what God magnifies and multiplies into the miracle. You don't have to know all the answers to be the answer. You'll be amazed what doors begin to open in your own life when you begin to live this way. Here's the third thing. you got to focus on who you are, not where you are. This is kind of significant. for for Joseph's life, but also for you and I. Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. It's an amazing thing that a slave in ancient history was successful and prosperous. Why? Because God was with him. And even though he was a slave, He didn't allow that mentality to become the portion of his life. That Joseph was successful and prosperous even in a foreign land, even in a foreign place, because God was with him. You've got to remember who you are rather than focusing on where you are. So many people, listen to me, as a pastor, so many people make the mistake of defining who they are by where they are. Oh, well, I guess this is just my lot in life. I guess it's just how it is. I guess this is just all that there is. And they look at where they are in life and they begin to think that must be who they are. Well, you know, I've struggled with alcohol, therefore I must be an alcoholic. And they define their entire life by that one thing. Yes, there might have been a struggle. And yes, there might have been things to overcome there. And yes, there might be an area where, you're, where there's temptation or where there is, but don't define yourself by that. Don't allow your present scenery to define who you are. Joseph was in a slave house, but he never was a slave. Joseph was in a prison, but he never let the prison get inside of him. And so as a result, he was able to keep himself for greatness. If Joseph had started to identify his life with where he was, he would have slept with Potiphar's wife. Because he would have thought, I'm a slave. What else have I got to live for? It's only the here and now. I'll take what's on offer because I'm just a slave. This is just the confined nature of my life. I'll never be anything more than this. But because Joseph didn't identify his life with where he was, he identified his life by who he was. He said, I'm not going to muck around with that. I'm a man of God. God's created me for greatness. God's given me a dream and a purpose for my life. And I don't know all the details, but I'm not about to start fooling around here because... Because God's got a plan for my life. If Joseph had started identifying his life by where he was, he would have ended up sleeping with Potiphar's wife. Because that would have been a temptation. We think of Potiphar's wife like, you know, Potiphar's like an old guy and he's, you know, he's got all these slaves and stuff like that. And so Potiphar's wife's probably like this old lady and she's got like a walking stick and a glass and She's like, come here, Joseph, come here. Come on, Joseph. You're getting an insight into how I read the Bible, right? (laughs) Potiphar was a wealthy guy. Likelihood is Potiphar's wife was closer to Joseph's age than Potiphar's age. And Joseph would not allow himself to go there because he wasn't about to define his life, who he was, by where he was. Because he refused to define who he was by where he was, Joseph kept himself for greatness. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Joseph guarded his heart because he knew that God had great things in store for him. And so this was a temporary stop along the way. This was not the destination. He didn't know what the destination was. He just had a noble desire, right? But he knew enough to know, I'm not going to define who I am by where I am. You might feel like you're in a small place. Don't become a small person person. You might feel like you're in a tough place. Don't become a hard person. Guard your heart. Keep it soft. Keep it tender. It's a choice, and you get to choose to focus on who you are rather than focusing on where you are right now. Here's the fourth one. Focus on what you do, not what others do. Come on, if anybody could have screamed at the top of their lungs, other people have ruined it for me. It's Joseph, right? Instead, Joseph focused on what he did rather than what others did. Think about Joseph's life, what his brothers did to him. For some of us, that's not that hard to imagine because there's some things that have happened in our own lives that don't seem too dissimilar. I mean, no one's thrown us into a pit and sold us as a slave that I'm aware of, but there might've been some other things. Maybe some words spoken, maybe some other actions that have happened that, that where we were completely ostracized or, or maybe even hated or, or maybe even just owned by our own family and said, you're dead to me. If anybody could have said, man, God gave me a great dream, but you, all of you, you've all wrecked the dream that God's given to me. It, it was Joseph. Then he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of doing something that he was completely innocent of doing. In fact, he can say, actually, that's not how the story goes. But no one believes him so that he's thrown into prison. And then even in prison, people forget about him. He's trying to help others. Other people are just trying to help themselves. If anybody could have screamed at the top of his lungs, other people have ruined it for me. It was Joseph. And yet you never hear that in the account of Genesis, Joseph ever saying anything to that effect. How many people do you hear who say, you know, when I was a teenager? God gave me this great dream, but you know, then this thing happened, and this person ripped me off, and this person did the wrong thing by me, and these people never recognized my gift. And you know, that ex employer or, or that ex spouse or, or that ex business partner, they, they totally ruined, they totally ruined the plan of God for my life. It was everything was going well until that happened. That pastor, that church ruined it for me. Do you know? Um, on Friday afternoons, Ben Taylor and I have been at three o'clock praying. It's teenage boys around this around the the center like every afternoon. And so we're just praying, God, give us a bit of a plan and a strategy for how we're going to reach these young guys because we want the testimony of the four 11-year-old boys who are trying to break in down the other end of the building on Friday afternoon, the testimony of their lives to be in 20 years' time I made a decision to follow Jesus because I found these people in this building on Springs Drive. And As we're praying on Friday afternoon, I actually f- felt we need to pray for healing in people's lives. Because God has a burden to be able to give them, but he can't give them the weight of that burden until the healing has happened in their own heart. That God's actually got a burden for this place that he wants to be able to share not just with the leadership team or with the pastors, but with the whole church. But maybe your past experience of a church has been such that, that for you, that ex-employee, that, that ex-lover, that, that pastor, that church hurt me. And therefore, I'm going to protect my family from the church. I'm not going to get too involved. I'm going to stay on the outskirts because it's too traumatic for me to get any more involved, can I tell you, God wants to bring healing to that in your own life, right? Where you can look at what has happened, all of which might be very, very real, right? You can look at that and say, do you know that happened? I mean, there's some lessons to be learned from all of that, but it doesn't sting me anymore. It doesn't hurt me anymore. There's a pot plant in the back corner of this building. It's not traumatizing me. It's there. I'm not pretending like it's not there but it's not affecting me in any way, right? Some people you meet, they never attempt anything for God ever again because of an experience that they've had. I want to encourage you, don't focus on what other people do. Focus on what you're going to do. The only person who can get you out of the will of God is you. Never allow your life to be taken hostage by someone else. Well, you know, my ex-wife, she took the car and she took the house and she took the kids and she took my future. No, no one can take your future, right? She might have taken the car and the house and maybe even the kids, but she did not take your future. The only person who can give away your future is you. If someone else is holding your life ransom, it's you who gave it to them. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, and it's so true. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Think about Jesus on the cross. I realize this has gotten really quiet on this point, and half of what I'm saying right now isn't actually in my notes. But think about Jesus. That if anybody had the right to be upset, wasn't it Jesus? I mean, the religious leaders who were doing all these things in God's name are killing God, right? The, the, the disciples, They've all run away. They've all deserted, right? John is like incognito hiding there, but everyone else is like skedaddled. They're gone, right? The Roman soldiers are mocking and beating Jesus and they're casting lots for his clothes while he's hanging on the cross, just right there. If anybody had a right to be like, I'm taking vengeance, like you want to see my might and power and strength, I will lift my hand and command the angels of heaven, right? It's, It's Jesus. And yet notice what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't focus on what they do. Instead, he focuses on what? God, forgive them for they know not what they do. God, don't let your focus be what they're doing. I'm not even going to allow my focus to be what they're doing. God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus made a choice that it's not about what others do. It's about what I do in this moment. And I choose to forgive them. What a powerful illustration. What, what a difficult challenge to be able to do on our own without God. But there is an ease to doing it with God because God has done it many, many times before. It's so liberating when you realize that no one can take you out of the will of God except for you. So don't focus on what other people do. Begin to focus on God. Help me make my next move. Here's number five. Focus on serving, not scheming. Have you met any people who scheme in the kingdom of God? Don't answer that question. Genesis chapter 40 and verse 4 says this, and the captain, the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them, the other prisoners, so that they were in custody for a while. Joseph is in prison, falsely accused, having been sold into slavery by his brothers. No one's coming to rescue him. His dad thinks that he's... Joseph is in prison and yet even in prison, Joseph doesn't make it about himself. Joseph makes it about other people, so much so that the prison guards are like, this guy seems to be able to take on responsibility. Like He's not making the whole world about him, which is really unusual because most of the prisoners who are here for their whole entire lifetime like make it about them. And so they begin to promote him. Genesis uh, 40, uh, beginning in verse 6, just a few uh, verses on. And Joseph came to them, right? This is to the cupbearer and to the baker. He came to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who they were, Uh, who were with him in the custody of, of the Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? That is a small detail that we should not overlook that reveals something about the choices Joseph had made for his own life. If I am Joseph and in prison, I'm not noticing anybody else who's sad. I'm in prison and I didn't do it. Not Joseph. Joseph is actually he actually notices that someone else is upset. Come on, you and I know people who live their lives and they couldn't see if the person in front of them, right, was bleeding out because their whole life is spent looking at them. Joseph had every right to make his future about what had been done to him. And yet he notices that there's two guys who are sad. And so he goes to them and he says, I notice you guys are upset. Maybe there's something I can do to help. That is an incredibly powerful principle to be able to live your life by, that Joseph was in every way others focused. Maybe he didn't always feel others focused. Maybe there were times where he said, God, I really need your help with this because I'm really struggling with this. I'm struggling to forgive or I'm struggling to be able to see others without being able to. But but Joseph was others focused. And so he goes to them and he says, tell me your troubles. Maybe I can help. Joseph had no idea that while he was serving his fellow inmates, he was actually actually writing his passport out of prison. You and I know that because we know how the story ends. That ultimately, as a result of helping these two men, the cupbearer will remember that Joseph interprets dreams. And when Pharaoh has a dream, he'll call for Joseph. If Joseph had not have seen that those two guys were sad and had not said, you know what, I'm going to try. I know that my lot in life... It's not going so great right now, but I'm going to try and help improve the lot of somebody else. If he had never done that, Pharaoh would have never known his name. It was actually in serving others that God led Joseph to the dream he'd had as a teenager. Can you see that? That actually you can see God in this, right? Those who choose to be first will be made last. But those who place themselves last, who choose to be able to serve others, will find their life and gain it. Isn't that the way that Jesus said that you and I ought to live? That actually in serving others is how we actually find our best life. In a culture that's live your best life, get the new haircut. Live your best life, buy the Hilux. Live your best life, get the house with the pool and the caravan and the car and the kids. Live your best life. And the whole living your best life is focused on you. God says, actually, if you want to know how to live your best life, It's actually not spent serving yourself. It's actually spent serving other people. Because when you begin to serve others, you'll find yourself refreshed. And so my job is not to figure it all out. That's impossible. My job is to begin to take steps of faith. Luke chapter 18 verse 27 says, it's Jesus speaking. But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. It's impossible for me to be able to figure it all out. My job is not to figure it all out. That's in God's hands. That's the stuff that's up to God. My part is to begin to take steps of faith, to begin to believe the word that God gave me, to begin to serve others and to begin to allow God to figure out all the other details. If you will make the choice that I'm going to serve others, not serve myself, you'll find the plan of God beginning to unfold even right in front of you. Serve where you are. Be a blessing where you are. But begin to pray. God, God, help me to see the people who are on the work site the way that you do. God, God, help me to be able to see the teenagers who are breaking into the building. Help me to begin to see them, Lord, the way that you do, right? Because you've got a great plan for these young guys because they're trying to break into a building. But at some stage in the future, they'll be breaking in, right? These are the young guys who, who God will get a hold of their life, right? And they'll share their testimony and their faith and many will come to salvation, That right now they're trying to break into a building. But actually, God is trying to break in on their life as well. God, help me to be able to see them, Lord, the way that you do. And help me, God, to be able to serve them the way that you would. Here's the sixth one. There's only 87 more to go. That one always gets a chuckle. This is the last one. Focus on others, not yourself. The worship team can start to come back. We're about to finish. Here's the sixth point. It was a choice that Joseph made, but it's a choice for you and I. If we're going to live, not fatalistically and not as a victim, but if we're going to live a faith-filled life, then we've got to make the choice to focus on others, not on ourselves. There's a great book, perhaps you've read it, called The Purpose-Driven Life. It's written by Rick Warren. The first time I read that book, I opened it up and everyone had been talking about The Purpose-Driven Life and what a great book it is. And I thought, man, this is going to be fantastic, like a book about how to live a purpose-driven life. And this will be all about, you know, how to live with purpose and how to, how to fulfill the great things that God's got for your life. And so I opened the book and, and the first chapter. chapter—that The first sentence in The Purpose-Driven Life is just four words. It reads, it's not about you. Full stop. Closed the book, I thought, man, this is pretty difficult to stomach this stuff. Living a purpose-driven life? I I thought Rick was going to tell me all about how to live with purpose and how God's got great plans for my life. And, And he starts the whole book with, actually, it's not about you. Imagine if you lived your life like that. You really would begin to find purpose. That perhaps the first line of The Purpose Driven Life is the most insightful of the entire book. The book is filled with great insights, but perhaps the first one is the most powerful. That actually, it's not about you. The key to living with purpose is actually not making your life about you. Imagine if you and I really got a hold of that thought. It would change the way that we approach the Caloundra Road roundabout in peak hour. People who are still chuckling drive to Road. You know, towards the end of Joseph's life, he sees his brothers again. It's 22 years later. They have no idea what's happened to Joseph. They've never seen him again. They sold him off and when the slave traders took him away to a foreign land, they didn't see anything else. It's been 22 years since they've seen Joseph. Probably there was a fair bit of guilt attached to that. Because even though they hated him, they were all vying for their father's affection. That's why they hated him. And because his dad had shown favoritism towards Joseph, that's what made them so jealous. When they went back to their dad and, and took the garment, the, the, the coat that had been made for Joseph, covered it in blood so it looked like he'd been attacked by wild animals, they would have watched their dad break down in tears. And I reckon for those last 22 years, they would live with a sense of guilt. Not just because of what they did to their brother, but because of what they did to their dad. They were hoping with Joseph out of the picture that their lives would get better. Their lives actually got worse. Because their grieving father, they knew was grieving in vain. They knew he was alive. They just could never bring themselves to tell him what they'd actually done. And so 22 years later, They meet Joseph again. And what's interesting about it is Joseph recognizes immediately these are his brothers. But they don't recognize Joseph. I wonder if we were in the same position as Joseph, what we might have done. But because here is the opportunity. Joseph is the most, he's the second most powerful man on the earth. Apart from Pharaoh, he has ultimate power. I'll teach my brothers a lesson throw me in a pit, will they? Sell me off in slavery, will they? Joseph could have exacted revenge. There might have been days and nights where he actually thought about getting revenge, but here 22 years later, not making it about himself, beginning to serve others, making some choices in his life, not to identify who he was by where he was, Allowing God to bring some healing into his own life because there would have been healing that was needed. Joseph was human like you and I. There would have been time when he needed forgiveness. Perhaps God didn't bring them back into the story for 22 years because it took 22 years for the forgiveness to actually fully take place in Joseph's life. But 22 years, they come back into his life. And in Genesis chapter 50, it records for us what happens when Joseph sees his brothers again and when they finally realize, oh, heck, it's him. Genesis fifty and verse nineteen this is what the Bible says. It says Joseph said to them, to his brothers, "Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid." I will provide for you and for your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's perhaps the greatest miracle of this entire story. That that when Joseph sees his brothers, he can mean honestly, I know that you intended this for evil. But even what you intended for evil, God used it for good. There were nights when I cried. There were, there were times in the prison where I thought that, that everyone had abandoned me. And yet now seeing you here and seeing what's happening with this famine and, and the wisdom that God's given me to be able to, I can see you meant it for evil. But God even took the things that you intended for evil and he used them for good. Ultimately for Joseph, he realizes at the end of his life that his life, is actually not about his life. That Joseph went through all of these different things because God was fixing not simply to make his life great, but to save the entire known world. And so Joseph realizes my life actually, it's not about my life. I thought all these things were happening to me. In actual fact, they were never about me. My whole life was never about me. It was actually about God's plan for the nations. What an amazing thing to realize at the end of your life. What an even more incredible thing to realize as a high school student, Willem. That your life is actually not about your life. That God's plans for your life are bigger than just you. What an incredible thing to begin to realize in your own life. That your life, it's not actually about your life. So so stop praying, God, show me your plan for my life. And start praying, God, show me a group of others that I can serve. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39 says, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, the truth is that I am closest to enriching my own life when I ask the question, how can I enrich the lives of others? I believe that God is good. Do you believe that? I believe that I'm made in the image of God. I believe that I'm made worthy. But I also believe that life is a choice. It's a choice to focus on your future rather than your past. It's a choice to focus on noble desires rather than knowing all of the details. It's a choice to focus on who you are, not where you are. It's a choice to focus on what you do, not what others do. It's a choice to focus on serving, not trying to scheme. It's a choice to focus on others and not yourself. And if you live like those principles are true, then you'll find yourself in a similar position to Joseph, being able to say, do you know what? A lot of things happened in my life. And maybe others intended them for evil. But God's so good, he even took the evil and found a way to make it good to make it prosperous, to make it fruitful, not just for my sake, but for the sake of many, many other people as well. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I'd love to pray for you today. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed today, Lord, I just thank you this morning for every single person who's in this room. God, greatly loved by you, and Holy Spirit, I'm just praying this morning that something of what we've shared today, God, would be sealed in, your, in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. That maybe there's something in this message today that really leapt out that, God, you want to bring healing to. You want to bring wholeness and forgiveness to. But maybe there's an area in our own lives even today, God, where we're beginning to see my life is not being shunted about by forces outside of my control. God, with your help, I can start to make choices that begin to set me up for my future. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd seal us in our hearts. God, that you'd bring it back to our remembrance. In Jesus' mighty name. I wonder if this morning, rather than asking people to come forward and to be prayed for, no one prayed for Joseph. But you better believe that Joseph spent some time doing business with God. And so I'm going to ask the worship team actually just to sing and lead us in this song. I want to ask you just right where you are. Maybe something today that, that's been shared has really resonated in your own heart. And before you leave and we go and have tea and coffee and we get on with everything else that's happening, not to miss this moment. To Say, God, I need healing in that area. God, I need wholeness to come to that part of my life. Maybe it's to do with family. Maybe it's to do with a past experience. But maybe it's got to do with a choice that you actually made. It wasn't somebody else. It was a choice that you made and you've lived with the guilt of it for some time. Joseph's brothers would be able to identify with that. But God wants to bring healing to that area of your life. So as the team leads us in worship, I want to encourage us just to take some time to worship. You can lift your hands if you want to. You can sing out loud if you want to. You can pray under your breath if you want to. But why don't you take a moment to be able to do business with God just right where you are. Lord, I pray today that you would keep us bold Lord, that this week you would keep us bold. That, Lord, you'd help us to be able to see others, Lord, the way that you do. That, God, we would not make our life about serving ourselves. But, God, we would make our life about serving others. That, ultimately, we would reflect that in you. Lord, we pray, help us this week to be able to do just that. God, watch over each one and their families until we come back together again to worship next Sunday. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day, and until next time, bless you.